0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. A very special shout out to all my Scorpio brothers and sisters, wishing you happy birthday all month long. We've got one of my favorite guests on tonight, Mr. Charlie Pierce. We call these episodes with Charlie Checkpoint Charlie. He's my psychological morphine drip for all things political. He's a writer, a journalist. Uh he writes for Esquire.com and makes frequent appearances on uh, TV shows like CNN, MSNBC, and is also uh, featured on the Stephanie Miller show. I believe on Tuesdays, right, Charlie? Ten thirty on well, ten thirty Eastern time on Tuesday every week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, of course, we have Steph Miller on Monday through Friday on AM nine fifty from eight to eleven a.m. So we've got uh we've got a lot to talk about but Charlie I know you're uh, you're very well read you're um a fan of the good book and I need to ask you what kind of god takes away Jerry Jeff Walker and Billy Joe Shaver within a week of each other
1: That's, it's it's I'll tell you what 2020 is just clear-cutting musicians Yeah I mean it's it's I mean I mean and yeah I mean the actuarial table says that you know this generation of musicians is going to pass, but that's a little excessive. I mean, I just—I mean, I remember, you know, I, I read the 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 copy of the book that the guy who ran Armadillo World Headquarters sent. Mm-hmm. Eddie Wilson, and of course, those two those two guys were were stars. Yeah, uh, in that book. So, and you know, the whole Austin scene was just wonderful.
0: And it was uh, uh, from a musician that grew up in northern Minnesota who would read Rolling Stone, read the Music Mags, watch Austin City Limits. Austin, uh, for me, was not unlike uh, Greenwich Village, was the promised land. I mean... I couldn't wait to get down to Austin, Texas. My sister lived there in 1982, and my mom and dad and I drove down for Christmas. And I will never forget, number one, I was chasing uh, every club I'd go to, Hud's Diner and the Continental Club and Antone's. Uh, there was a young guitarist down there making a name for himself nationally, very well-known in Austin, by the name of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Sure. And I, and I kept missing him. Every time I'd go, the, the bouncers would all know me. he goes, go, you just missed him. He just said it. <laughs> so it was kind of, kind of my holy grail to find that guy. But I went to the Continental Club on Congress, South Congress, and uh, Billy Joe Shaver— was playing and i had heard his name and it was uh christmas time so a lot of the students were gone there was less than 10 people in the club and billy Last joe night. played with his quartet featuring his uh, son who passed away tragically years later eddie shaver who played a stratocaster through a martial amp and was phenomenal but i'll tell you what uh you know that old musicians cliche i'll play for is is hard for four people as it will for 4000 it was true that night i've never seen a man so on fire with a club that had as many people in the club as they had on the bandstand yeah
1: that's a that, that that's a that's an interesting experience did you ever get uh, to
0: see billy joe no
1: no i mean I, I i saw jerry jeff years ago and uh i saw willie nelson on boston common a couple times in the summer uh, but, uh, you know, that whole, you know, yeah, you know, you just, he was one I missed basically. He and David Allen Coe
0: are the two that I missed from that. I, uh, so I, far. O- I opened up a show for David Allen Coe. Yeah. And I spent an afternoon, he needed a, a monitor system. Now, first of all, he was, a uh, um, he's David Allen Coe and then uh, the rest of us are, and he shows up, he was a little bit late. So I was actually, uh, doing my set and I see this big black this 20 foot black limousine pull up and it's David Allen Coe, and he's driving it. <laughs> oh excellent. I like a man who drives his own limo. Oh yeah. And then we uh so we we did the show. He couldn't have been nicer. His wife was with him. She was just a sweetheart. And the next day he needed uh to pick up a monitor system uh, because he was very specific about what he needed sound-wise. So uh, I took him to a kind of a legendary music store in northeast Minneapolis, and this uh, music store, I'm not going to mention their name, they had kind of a reputation for a lot of their uh, equipment might have been hot. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no. Well, fell off the truck, did it? <laughs> so, but anyway, so you'd go in, and there was no price tags on any of this stuff. So... Uh, uh, so David Allen Coe uh, got into what started out to be just a conversation with the clerk behind the counter and the guy started to jive him with the, you know, playing around with the numbers on this stuff. And at one point, uh, David Allen Coe before he reached over and almost grabbed the guy by the neck, he says, do you have any idea who I am? And he goes, you know, eight Grammy Awards, uh, uh, appearances, of blah, 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 17 gold records or whatever the hell it was. And I said, David, I said, why don't we just leave? I think there's one other store I can get you to. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what, you've never heard a version of Purple Rain until you've heard David Allen co-sing it. No
1: kidding. He, oh, he learned it just
0: to play it in Minneapolis? He, I saw him play it at First Avenue, which is kind of considered Prince's Club. Right, And yeah. he, he dedicated it to Prince, and uh, he was actually wearing a very uh, large purple ring at the time, and he kind of held it up and said, Prince, this is one for you. Yeah, yeah track it down. There's got to be a version on YouTube somewhere, uh, David Allen Co doing Purple Rain. It, 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 phenomenal.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, Christmas was Christmas with the family is one of my regular holiday spins. So,
0: <laughs> good for you. Well, you know, <laughs> speaking of missing things, uh, it was just announced yesterday that our alternative weekly, City Pages, closed yeah. abruptly. Like I picked up, I went to the store. Uh, it comes out, you know, on Wednesday, so I grabbed the the la- I think was going to be the last issue. And you came of age, uh, writing for one of the great alternative weeklies in Boston, the Boston Phoenix right
1: and uh, you know i i i am proud i i am proud to have been of that generation uh and you know it it's just been you know it just it just as bad as things have been for daily newspapers they've been just they've been worse for weekly newspapers we've lost the phoenix the village voice the chicago reader uh and now city pages which
0: has as i don't have to tell you you know has, was a formative newspaper for an awful lot of musicians oh my god and it was uh You know, and there was a huge focus with City Pages. It started out, it was called Sweet Potato for a few years, and it was uh, uh, really focused on the local music scene. In fact, uh, one of our first, when I had my band, canceled in the Stars, we got just a superb review. Uh, They used to run the reviews on the back pages of City Pages, which really put our band on the map. And as the years passed, Uh, The issues got slimmer and slimmer. But, you know, it's hard to believe, Charlie, at one time, back in the 80s and in the early 90s, we had two alternative weeklies in Minneapolis. One was City Pages and the other one was the Twin Cities Reader where the late, great David Carr uh, cut his teeth. Right.
1: Yeah. And, of course, in in Boston, we had the Phoenix and the Real Paper. Yeah. Which, which, you know, the the Real Paper was born out of one of those wonderful alternative weekly, you know, bloodbaths. In the '60s, in the middle of the whole, you know, in the middle of the whole '60s thing. Now, who uh, was that? Well, in fact, I had, in fact, one of one of the worst assignments of my life. I had to go and cover the folding of the real paper for the Phoenix. It folded oh, out of nowhere on a Friday afternoon. When we usually had our staff meeting, that you know most of the people were really buzzed for, because we all went out. Friday was after we put the paper after we put the paper out, so everybody went out to lunch and had three-hour lunches. Yeah, and then then we'd have the staff meeting where nothing got done. Sure. Uh, but I got called out of that. Me and a guy named Michael Matza, who who writes in Philadelphia now, and uh, we had to go over to Cambridge and and cover the. Uh, the demise of the real paper, oh, that's and these true. were not happy people. I mean, this was not a this was not a peaceful rivalry. This was uh, this was a real you know, like I said, it was it was a bitter split that never got any better. And a guy I I later became friends with threw a tape dispenser at my head when <laughs> so I walked in the door. <laughs> and finally, the the then editor of of the real paper, a guy named Mark Zanger, the guy who's the model uh, for the character Megaphone Mark in Dunesbury, really. The rivalry, yeah, he took us over to the famous Plow and Stars on Mass Ave in Cambridge, Van Morrison's old hangout.
0: Wow!
1: Uh, the Irish bar, and he, gradually people came filtering in. We did our interviews and went back to the uh, went back to the Phoenix and filed the story. But that was tough. I mean, because you know, all the it was. It was funny. We we were in the staff meeting, and there was this immense cheer went up from the advertising department. <laughs> and the rest of us were heartbroken because we all, yeah, we right. all knew people who worked
0: there. Sure, and you, you like know we're to... all
1: you know essentially working the same beat. Yeah, and and we weren't happy about it. And you know it was there was a real split. There was a real split there within the Phoenix. But that was a tough story. I'll tell you, that was a tough story to go cover. Oh, I, and it I, was Michael. It was Michael Matza, who I said is you know wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, and I uh, for you know we just got picked out of a staff meeting. I don't know if we were the two most sober guys there or
0: what. But <laughs> speaking of sober or not, I uh, I, di- I sat in one night at the Plow and Star. I went, went, went out a buddy of mine who uh, lived in Framingham was getting married, and so uh, I was playing his his wedding. So the night before, a good friend, his friend and and who became a very good friend of mine, we uh, we stole a couple of bottles of wine from uh, from the wife's from the uh, bride stash for the party the next day, and went in the park and drank those, and then went to the Plow and Star. Of course, you know my friend Spider John Kerner used to play there, so I knew of the place. Yes. and it's a legendary Irish hangout, and I heard. Uh, used to have some connections with the ira and um so i would i might have been a little too t- i probably shouldn't have done it but i said i gotta play at the plow and star. so i talked to the guy who was playing it and blending me as a guitar and i did a tune i got done and i asked my buddy i said how did i do he said well let's put it this way matt so he goes uh, you didn't drop the guitar and you pulled it together by the end yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it was it was you know when when Van Morrison was living on Green Street, uh, he hung out there. Uh, Bonnie Raitt used to hang out there yeah. back way back in the day when she was at Cam- when she was hanging around the Cambridge folk clubs.
0: Is it still uh, there? And it's still
1: there. Wow. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the few survivors.
0: Wonderful spot. We've got that to-
1: and, the, and the 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 Can Tab, which is down the street, which w- has a bluegrass uh, session every week and, and- has. You and, know, and there was Little gonna, Joe Turner, little not Little Joe Turner. Little Joe, what was his name? The guy who did Salt Peanuts. Little Joe Turner. Yeah, yeah he used to play there every weekend. So, yep. uh, yeah, that was the that's the forgotten part of Cambridge, Cambridge uh, Central Square.
0: And there was another another club out there. I remember Johnny D's or something like that. Yeah, that, that's in Somerville. Okay. Yeah, it's still there. Okay. Uh yeah, that was that became
1: that became a music club right about the time I was at the Phoenix. Okay. Uh, it, it had been a you know a you know Italian very probably mafia-owned restaurant. And they put in a, they put in a, a I believe they put it in a basement and turned it into a music club. It was very successful for a long while.
0: Wow. We've got uh, Charlie Pierce on the show all night tonight. Uh, we call these episodes Checkpoint Charlie. We are to be. We might get into politics here in a bit, but uh, Charlie and I love to talk, uh, talk, talk music. So we're going to listen to a little music and be right back with Mr. Pierce on the Wall of Power
2: Radio Hour. Hey, everyone. You know what's just around the corner? The holidays. And you know what that means? You have to find the perfect gift for curious kids, hard to buy for teens, and baby boomers that already have everything they could possibly need. Would you believe there's one gift that will delight all three? Yep, music lessons at School of Rock. Lessons in guitar, bass, drums, keys, or vocals make a fantastic holiday gift. Lessons are available in person or online, so you can even give the gift of music to the out-of-towners on your shopping list. For AM 950 listeners, we're giving a fifth lesson free for every four lessons you buy. Just mention you heard us on AM 950. And if you would like to learn an instrument, give us a call. Your first lesson's on us. Yes, I mean totally free. No strings attached. Check us out at edenprairie.schoolofrock.com or click on the link on AM950radio.com. Wall of Power, Radio
0: Power. Welcome back to the second set of the Ball of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza, one of our favorite guests with our continuing Checkpoint Charlie episodes. Mr. Charlie Pierce, speaking to us from his home in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Charlie, got a lot to talk about, but one thing that's really been bugging me lately, what's up with this Melania body double? I don't know. I've stayed away from it because it's a little bit too Oliver Stone for me. <laughs> yeah. But
1: especially when you know I see people analyzing the shape of her teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I think we. You know, we, I'm sorry. We we are real. We we have set up a pup tent on the grassy knoll on that one. I don't know. Although she is a she is a she did appear with him. Uh, one of the few times she's appeared with him at a campaign stop down in Florida this week. So,
0: <laughs> I know it's like. It's so it's so crazy and so absurd. Nobody's touching it, but I I think there's something. I think I think there's a shooter in <laughs> <on> the crowd. <grass laughs> no, here. really. Yeah. Okay, let's speak in a total nut stuff. Let's talk Rudy Giuliani. How far out there is that man? Uh he's
1: done. Uh, that's uh, he's. You know he's well. Past, he, he he's well past the time where you pin his name to his sweater and send him to the dog track. <laughs> I mean, he's just. I mean, there. I mean, as there is. I just read something today that the, the 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 White House staff is like doing everything but tackling the guy to keep him away from the president.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, and it's. Uh, uh... You know, I, I I watched these clips of him, and he's totally insane. It did look like he was trying to prepare, and I guess with Steve Bannon, the big October surprise that totally blew up in their faces.
1: Right. I mean, this was good. This was going to be the Comey letter of 2020. Right. And everybody read it, and and people just you know the the the, the administration has such a lack of credibility at this point. Yeah, that nobody that, that nobody's going to take anything they say, you know, on face value, right. and then having checked into it, it was nonsense. Yeah.
0: Well, when when Fox News isn't running it, you know. Well, there you go. I mean, when the New York po- a story that's too nutty for the New York Post, a story that was that was so bad it it
1: it occasioned a byline strike at the New York Post. Right. Right. Um, and while I, I mean, while I don't deny that there are good reporters at the New York Post laboring under. You know, a,
0: a, a terrible owner. Uh, this was just this was too much for them. <laughs> Headless body and topless bar, right? There we go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> say you had a uh, really nice things to say about uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, commonly known as AOC, and you compared her. Uh, her to a young Michael Jordan, and I need to ask you: When you were on the sports beat, which which you have been for years, Charlie, you saw a young Michael Jordan play.
1: I did when he was at North Carolina. I saw I, I saw him play several times. Uh, I saw him play as a fan uh, in 1982 at the uh, the Final Four in New Orleans. Uh, which I was sitting, I was sitting in 600, I was sitting in section 646 of the Superdome, so I didn't really see him that right, well. Right. But I did see him hit the jump shot against Georgetown, and then uh, a couple of years later, I started covering college basketball at the Boston Herald, and I saw, I took a bunch of trips down to Maryland and stuff, and saw him play there, and saw him play in the tournament a couple of times. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you you could see the 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 kind of talent that was there. But you also saw him patiently developing it under Dean Smith, and mm-hmm. I think that's what I I, I compared AOC to. There's not she's an enormous political talent? She's got natural political skills that are off the charts, yeah, and great instincts in terms of of what you know how to how to how to frame her issues and and what issues to frame.
2: Uh,
1: and she's just learning the she's just learning the ropes now. And
0: you know, I think
1: you know, barring something untoward.
0: Uh, the sky's the limit for her. Well, I loved when uh, Trump referred to her as AOC plus three, and she says, uh, no, AOC plus 115. You know? There you go. <laughs> She's getting her army together. Um, I got to ask you one uh, one other uh, Boston basketball question. Did you ever get a, uh, a chance to uh, interview or have any um, time with Kevin McHale?
1: Yes, uh, during the the '80s. Uh, one of the other things I did for the Herald was I, I covered the NBA playoffs every year, and Kevin McHale was. I, I actually have a music anecdote. Yeah, tell about us about Kevin about Kevin McHale. In 1986, when they were playing the, the Houston Rockets for the for the championship, uh, I don't know how, but Neil Lofgren started touring with the Celtics. He he came really came along on the charters. Yeah, he and McHale knew each other. I think. Because Mikhail knew Springsteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you know, Neil Lofgren was on was on the plane all the time. So we go down to Houston, wow. and yeah, and he, and Lofgren go roomful of blues, a great uh, the oh, great yeah. band from Rhode Island. Uh of Very familiar yeah. with that band. Yeah. Uh, he was. They were playing in a, in a in a club down in Houston, and Lofgren went over to sit in one night, and Mikhail and his wife went with them stayed through the first set and then went back to the hotel because there was a game the next day. And a day or so later, after the game, the Houston gossip columnist, I can't remember his name, but he used to wear this huge white uh, like plantation hat. Mm-hmm. I thought he was unmistakable. So he wrote a, a, a column that said McHale and his wife were quote-unquote partying all night at this, <laughs> uh, at this club. And one of the things about Mikhail who that people don't realize is that even on a team with Larry Bird, he was a tremendous trash talker. Right. And really? he was liable to say anything. Hmm. Huh. Uh, and so we go to practice, the Celtics practice, uh, the day the column runs. And <laughs> The guy shows up, and of course he's unmistakable because he's got this huge white hat on. Sure. And McHale goes over to him and just starts reading him out about, <laughs> you know, I only stayed there for an hour, and did you check anything? What's wrong with you, anyway? And at that point, Bill Walton comes out of the locker room, and he's got Bill, You know, Bill's going to bring the, the, you know, the, the, the sunny North, you know, North Shore vibe right. to this whole thing. He's right. going to take everyone. He's going to take everyone down to Shakedown Street. <laughs> and uh, and so he comes up to Kevin and he goes, Ke- Kevin. He said, "Don't don't be so hard on the guy. He made a mistake. He's just trying to do his job, you know." And, and Bill's got that that weird little turtle thing he does with his head, <laughs> where he kind of like pushes his neck out when he's talking to you. Right. And Mikhail turns on him and does not miss a beat. Says, "Yeah, well, that's how all that stuff started about Patty Hearst hiding in your attic." <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, oh man, oh man! And Walton just kind Walton just kind of walked off, <laughs> and, and I thought, man, that is that is a man with a fast mind. That is that's an incredible line. Well, it's that uh, and and a true a true son of the Iron Range. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know the the, the rumor is that when when Dylan uh, Dylan visits uh, uh, the home country, that he stays at uh, McHale's place out on Side Lake. Now that's a rumor. Don't. Don't go hanging out at uh, Find McHale's Cabin and do that. But, uh, but they're buddies, of course, you know. Yeah. To the hippest.
1: Uh, the, the two film most famous people from Hibbing. Yeah,
0: although let's not forget uh, Vincent Bugliosi. I didn't know that. Vincent Bugliosi he's a high school graduate from Hibbing High School, was also a high school tennis star. His Mm. folks had a little uh, grocery store, kitty corner from the high school, and uh, a a very good friend of my family's, a lady named Loretta Paglissetti, graduated with Vincent and said uh, he spent most of his time when he wasn't in school just... Uh, hitting the tennis ball on the side of uh, of the Hibbing High School. What's really interesting about that part of Hibbing, so you got Bugliosi, McHale, and then Bob Dylan. They all lived within about four to six blocks of each other. Really? Yeah, and then, of course, you have Gary Puckett from the Union Gap, and uh, another man you might have heard of who was born in Hibbing and then moved to Fargo, Roger Maris.
1: That's I, I did. I didn't know Roger had been born there. I knew Roger was from Fargo, because he always want. He always talked about going home. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. That's uh, that, that Vincent Puliosi. Yeah, boy, he came a long way. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so,
0: I mean, not like Dylan, but still. Yeah. So let's talk about. Um, yeah, by, by Dylan's a Dylan's a basketball guy. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I... I, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. In fact, I had uh, there's a great book out called Dylan and Me, uh, written by his friend Louis Kemp. Now, uh, Louis was a Duluth boy. Uh, Bob would come down from Hibbing, and he'd hang out with Louis. They'd chase gals. They went to see Buddy Hawley at one of Buddy's last shows at the Duluth Armory, where the the uh, legend goes that that's where the the torch was passed uh, from. From Buddy to Bob. In fact, I was at the Duluth Armory this spring, and there is a. They have designated the spot. Louis went there, and they've got it a little painted out, where they stood right next to the stage when they walked, uh, uh, watching Buddy Holly that night. But I was taught. I had uh, when Louis Kemp put out his, his book, Dylan and me. I had him on my television show, and uh, so he had kind of his stock line, stock answer, stock reading from the book. I said, "Come on, give me so, you know." Tell me something that nobody else knows. He said, "Dylan was a hell of a one-on-one basketball player," and he said he had not only incredible moves but an incredible hook shot. <laughs> that's great. And I said, "The that, Bob Dylan sky, the Bob Dylan sky hook." Yeah, exactly. I, I said, and that's things that you're only going to hear on my TV or radio show. No, in, I mean
1: in his in his in chronicles in the in the memoir he he. Has a whole section on how much he admired Pete Maravich. Yeah,
0: Pistol you know, He talked he
1: about hearing the, the news of Pete Maravich's death on the uh, on the radio in New Orleans while he was in New Orleans.
0: And also, you know, Dylan's a huge boxing fan. Really?
1: Well, that's that's generational. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you know that that you know, I, I don't know many boxing fans who are younger than Bob right
0: yeah. now. So. But, You know, there's a uh, there's a great. Uh, picture that I just saw the other day. I've seen it before, of course, uh, during the Rolling Thunder review when Bob had all of the uh, the white makeup on. And there's a picture of him with his arm around Muhammad Ali. But there's another shot that I just loved it was backstage, I don't know, the, in, in Houston or New York City somewhere. And there's Bob Dylan sitting in his stage getup and there's Muhammad Ali a couple of feet away chomping on a huge uh, uh, chicken leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like here's two legends just feeling really comfortable in each other's company. Oh man, okay. <laughs> so That's great. so we've got the uh how are you feeling about I uh, had it it was very strange. I had this incredible burst of
1: optimism last weekend. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden all the clouds parted in my mind that I saw you know the the senate going the right way and 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 and, and Biden winning and all was right with the world. Now, it didn't last, uh-huh. uh, and I didn't trust it as far as I could, you know, throw Mike Pence's immune system. Right. But uh, but for two days, I was just, it was like the eye of this, it was like that scene in The Perfect Storm, you know, where they turn around, they're trying to get the boat out of the storm, uh-huh. and the eye of the hurricane comes over them, the sun comes out and stuff for about right, right. eight seconds. That's the way it was. So, so it cra- was very strange.
0: What crashed your buzz? Uh,
1: actually, the. Uh, the decision on, on uh, absentee ballots in Wisconsin. Okay. Harsh my mellow. Yeah. Uh, because it's based on nothing. It's based on pure political hackery. And uh, and it turned out that uh, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh had to take his opinion back because he made a mistake. He had to rewrite <laughs> his opinion because some election officials in Vermont caught him making a terrible mistake. I know. Well. And I've... that almost never happens. I mean, when they publish an opinion, it stays. Yeah. I mean, it's written in stone, but nope. He had to bring he had to bring it back and do a duo. Had, uh, to, had to do bro, We're going to have the Brett Kavanaugh like uh, alternate takes here, I think, for a while.
0: <laughs> you know, I it's it's a incredibly ominous omen when Clarence Thomas was the man that swore in uh, Amy Coney Barrett, which I want to call Comey Barrett, but and I don't know. That's just uh, well, I
1: know, I, and and and, and I, I I type it that way to sometimes too, to be honest with you.
0: What do you think – I mean, you know, I think we're sitting better than we are in 2016, but there's so much – Oh, God, yeah. There's so much, you know, between between hacking election machines, voter suppression, uh, votes not being counted. I mean, there's a myriad of ways when – how the GOP can – to put it mildly, one of your favorite phrases that you use – uh that you don't smell out completely rat screw this election.
1: Yeah, I mean there's there there, there and, and I think, you know, the uh I think the period between election night and inauguration day uh if the election goes against the incumbent is going to be unprecedented in American history. I think it's going to be dreadful. I <laughs> think uh I think between them trying to grab all they can before they get run out of town and and whatever they try to do to 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 you know, sleaze their way back into power. It's just going to be, and you know, I'm sorry, Paul, but there are too many people with guns walking around right now. I don't
0: like that at all,
1: for my satisfaction.
0: I don't. Uh, I, yeah.
1: I mean, it's like it's like, you know, what Chekhov's thing about you know, you put the pistol on the table in Act One, and it has to go off by Act Three. <laughs> I mean, once you establish right, the right? fact that people can carry, once you accept the establish the fact that it's acceptable for people to bring firearms into the polling stations. You are implicitly saying that it's you are normalizing the fact that one of those guns might go off
0: someday. Right. Well, I know that uh, Keith Ellison, our attorney general, stepped up because some group from Tennessee was going to sponsor some form of some militia to come up here to watch our polls in Minnesota. And uh, God bless Keith Ellison. He was right on top of that. And shut that down. But you look at what's happened in Michigan, and, and uh, you know, Texas aren't they going? Aren't they out calling out the national guard to go to go to their polling places? Or
1: well, they, they're calling actually because Greg
0: Abbott is a fool.
2: Yeah,
1: they're calling out the national guard, and they're only they're only putting them in the cities to prevent quote unquote violence in case the Democrats lose. Which is basically what Abbott said, although he didn't use the party name. Right. Uh, that dissatisfaction with the with with the election results, I think, is the way he put it. Hmm. Uh, but he's significantly he's only sending the troops to Houston, Dallas, San Antonio. Uh, I think Lubbock's getting some, but you know, large cities where you know you might find most of the Democratic uh, voters. Don't so you, I find that very significant.
0: D- you know what? Uh, it's kind of amazing that. You know, you look at Putin, who's been, you know, in control of this country for the last four years. He's got just about everything he's wanted out of Donald Trump. McConnell's got just about he's wanted uh, out uh, of Donald Trump with with uh, uh, with all the judges and now the latest Supreme Court justice. Well, three of them, as a matter of fact. And you almost get the feeling on one hand, it's, it's just like, well, if Biden does win, they got— absolutely as much out of trump as they need it you know they might have been able to squeeze a little more uh blood out of the turnip but they got their money's worth
1: oh yeah And, and you're starting you're starting to see now you're starting to see them try to reconstitute their careers yeah uh you know you're seeing you know ted cruz saying that the hunter biden stuff won't move a single vote now he's right it won't but it's ted cruz yeah who spent four years sucking up to the guy who Blamed his father for JFK's assassination.
0: <laughs> yeah, and called his uh, wife and called his wife ugly.
1: And called his wife ugly, <laughs> and whose, whose supporters attacked his wife at the convention in, in Cleveland. Oh my god! Uh, in one of the more uglier moments of a very ugly convention, uh, and you know, but now you're seeing him. You know, you know, some of these people want political careers after having sold their souls for this guy. What? And I think you're right. I think I think the latest the latest pronouncements from the Kremlin indicate that. You know, Putin's gotten what he
0: wants. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've been saying uh, the the whole time. I said in 2016 to all my friends that uh, voted third party or Jill Stein or whoever, I said, it's not about the president. It's about the Supreme Court. A president's for maybe eight years. The Supreme Court is 40. We're seeing how that's played out. And I've been saying now for since anybody would listen to me, which is not all the time, I said, the Senate. Re, uh, uh, reclaiming the Senate is more important than uh, putting a Democrat in as president. How do you feel about uh, the, the chances there on uh, uh, all the Senate races across the country?
1: I think it's going to be close. Uh, I think uh, you know if if, if I were, if, were I a betting man, I would say that like MJ Hager probably isn't going to make it in Texas. He's going to come really close mm-hmm. and the texas the texas result i'm looking forward to is if the democrats actually manage to flip the texas house of representatives right for the first time in you know decades mm-hmm. that would be a gigantic accomplishment
0: do you think biden has a chance in texas
1: uh, i think he's got a chance i think it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take massive turnout and it's going to take you know, some I think some fast lawyering, too, because I think everything's aligned against him in the courts down there. But, yeah, uh, I think Jamie Harrison's got a real shot in South Carolina.
2: Hmm. Uh
1: And I think, you know, Martin, Martha McSally and Cory Gardner are both dead people, dead senators walking. Yeah. At this point. I think Steve Bullock is going to beat Steve Daines in Montana, and I think it may come down to Teresa Greenfield and Joni Ernst. Hmm. In your neck of the woods,
0: yeah. Well,
1: and of course, Joni, Joni crippled herself by not knowing what the price, of the market price of soybeans was.
0: <laughs> that clip, I could listen, I could watch over and oh, over. Oh, there's that. an even
1: better one out there now. Uh, find the clip of John Ossoff and David Perdue. I watched it last in their night de- in their debate in Atlanta. John Ossoff. I spent a day with like John Ossoff when he was running for Congress, and he was really kind of this mild, you know, you know, perfectly nice
0: guy. But that was, that was unbelievable the other night. Oh, it was phenomenal. We've got Charlie Pearson on the wall of Power Radio R And uh, let's go out and listen to Jerry Jeff's uh, most popular song and a song I've played and listened to, drank to, and cried to Mr. Bojangles. And, Charlie, we got to talk about how much fun Obama's having out on the trail. We'll be uh, back in just a little bit.
2: I knew a man bojangles and he danced for you in worn-out shoes, with silver hair, a ragged shirt, and baggy pants. The old soft shoes, he jumps so high, he so high, then he lightly touched down. Bo Jangle, Mr. Bo Jangle, Mr. Bo Jangle I met him in a cell in New Orleans. I was down and out. He looked to me to be the eyes of a... Everyone, you know what's just around the corner? The holidays. And you know what that means? You have to find the perfect gift for curious kids, hard to buy for teens, and baby boomers that already have everything they could possibly need. Would you believe there's one gift that will delight all three? Yep, music lessons at School of Rock. Lessons in guitar, bass, drums, keys, or vocals make a fantastic holiday gift. Lessons are available in person or online, so you can even give the gift of music to the out-of-towners on your shopping list. For AM 950 listeners, we're giving a fifth lesson free for every four lessons you buy. Just mention you heard us on AM 950. And if you would like to learn an instrument, give us a call. Your first lesson's on us. Yes, I mean totally free. No strings attached. Check us out at edenprairie.schoolofrock.com or click on the link on am950radio.com.
0: Welcome back to the fourth and final set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My most delightful guest, uh, continuing episode with an open door to the show, Mr. Charlie Pierce, doing his Checkpoint Charlie, which he does so well. Charlie, how much fun has Obama been having out on the trail?
1: I'll tell you, the guy is is a natural blogger. He really is. He's got the snark thing down very well. Oh and he, man. And people who knew him and people who worked in his campaign always told me that there was this side of him that, you know, he didn't he didn't shell very often. But that, you know, this is not a guy you want to shoot the dozens with.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: You better bring your A game. Yeah. Oh, he's having a great time. Are you kidding? Yeah. And he's got not only he's got not not only does he have the you know, the kind of verbal dexterity that you will love to see, he's also got the the the, the, the you know, hands in the air Oh yeah, you know, cock of the head, facial expression thing going.
0: Yeah, and impeccable timing.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, nobody nobody can do what he can do with the phrase. Oh, come on, man.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know his line: you stand up to Putin, he goes, you can't even stand up to Leslie Stahl. You know. I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the the whole riff. He's got a great riff about the Chinese, the secret Chinese bank account.
0: Yeah. Well, that's so incredible. You know, the other, you know, the, the thing that I th- I think has been getting the short shrift, because they talk so much about, uh, did Trump get tested? You know, I, we know everything he's doing is just anti science and super spreading the virus, but all of the the latest stuff about the secret Chinese bank account, did he owe, does he owe four hundred million to Deutsche Bank or is it closer to a billion? Then Trump comes back on and says, Well, that's only a fraction of what I'm actually worth, which is complete BS. Uh, complete malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. I think that's been getting the short shit, but it, it's incredible how there's still almost 40% of this country that still buys into this guy.
1: Yeah, more than 40%, you know, north of 40%, 45, you know, sometimes 45, 47. Uh, it's extraordinary to me, uh, you know, and, and I wonder now how much of that number is people defending the fact that they voted for him last time. hmm That don't want to duck the responsibility of everything uh, for everything that went on. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I, there's no way to poll that. But I just, you know, if you took the chance in 2016, uh, whether or not now you're sticking with him only because not to stick with him is to admit that, you know, you screwed up as badly as you did.
2: Right.
0: Do you think... Uh, well, no, no matter whether he stays in office or uh, gets elected out, that the Southern District of New York uh, is going to pursue what supposedly a lot of these uh, uh, upcoming, you know, the uh, uh, upcoming things they might have against them tax fraud and uh, the, the rest. That these things were gonna are are going to come in light, come to light.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's what he's mostly afraid of. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be there's going to be a, a tremendous amount of, of of momentum behind the notion that we should just you know turn the page on him as president. But I don't think Letitia James in the Southern District of New York, and who's the New York Attorney General, and the prosecutors of the Southern District of New York are going to let him go. You- I think that's what I mean. He the guy is right. The guy right now is running for president to stay out of jail. Right. In a lot of ways, and I think the real threat to him is the federal prosecutors in New York and Letitia James.
0: Do you think there's a possibility? And I'm knocking on wood here at the table at the radio station. If Biden gets elected, we'll have some sort of truth and uh, reconcili—some uh, sort of truth commission come on after that. Not only go after Trump, but Louis DeJoy, Kelly Loeffler, and the whole band of grifters. Because uh, oh, I—I hope so. Yeah.
1: I mean, I hope so. Glenn Kirshner, the, uh, the TV pundit who was a U.S. attorney for, I don't know, 30 years, has been, you know, arguing for something like that all along. I think, we got, you know, we, we can't do what we did last time. Right. Which was to let all the Bush people off the hook. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, what all that did was make sure they were all be back. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's got to be some sort of permanent, you know, public service banishment for the people who were involved in this mess.
0: Yeah, well, and now Karl Rove's got some trouble. Where again? Where did he rear his ugly head?
1: I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Carl- oh, he's already out there. He's, he's, one of, he's one of the prime voter suppression guys. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's signed on with their campaign. I mean, it's not, it hasn't been noticed very much because there's so much else going on.
0: Yeah. Well, we got about a minute left here with Charlie Pierce. Charlie, what? Uh, where are you going to be stationed on election night? Who are you going to be watching and listening to?
1: Same place, out you know. Same place I've been since St. Patrick's Day. My living room. Uh, you know, I was going to go to Wisconsin. That was my original plan. Was to spend the last two weeks of of the campaign in Wisconsin. But uh, if I if I was going to pick any place to go, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I would pick Georgia because I think that's mm-hmm. a very interesting place right now. Yeah. I mean, you've got the pastor uh, of Ebenezer Baptist Church is going to win. You know, he's going to wind up having to go into a runoff, but he's going, to, he's going to be the leading vote-getter in one Senate seat. And you've got John Ossoff, who just left, you know, David Perdue as a pile of smoking meat by the side of the highway. <laughs> uh, plus, you've got Biden with a real shot down there. Yeah. So that, to me, is the most intriguing electorate in the country.
0: Well, I... Um... I look forward to it. I'm I'm feeling better than I than oh, I and, have uh, Joe been. Biden's
1: coming to St. Paul, by the way. Now he just announced it. I just got just came over my. Oh, screen. really? I will, uh, I will. Yeah, we're we're taping this on Thursday, so folks will know. But he's, yeah, he's going to have a little drive-in.
0: Uh, thing in St. Paul. I might have to make that. Charlie Pierce, thank you so much. Uh, you, uh, you kept me on the ledge. You didn't drag me off the ledge, so I appreciate that. And uh, we'll, we will have to check in uh, a few weeks after the election and see uh, how things are sitting, and hopefully with things uh, the Lord will step in and do the right thing. If the
1: Lord's willing, the creek don't rise, and, you know, let's not lose any more musicians for a while, okay? Yeah,
0: I hear you. As a matter of fact, Charlie Pierce, thank you so much, man. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, Paul, be well. All right, bye-bye. And now this is the late, great Billy Joe Shaver doing his song, Fast Train to Georgia."
1: That old chair, proper one-room country shack This say my mammy left me Same day that she had me Says she hit the road and never once looked back
0: And I that's what I'd mention My grandma's old age pension Is the reason why I'm standing here today I got all my country learning Milking and a churning Pigging cotton raisin and bailing hay.
1: I've been to Georgia on a fast train, honey I wouldn't born no yesterday Got a good Christian
0: reason And eighth great education Ain't no needin' y'all A treatin' me this way Thanks for listening to The Wall of Power Radio Hour The show was produced by Paul Metza Engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guest Checkpoint Charlie Pierce I've got a new record out Re-released Whistling Past the Graveyard 11 original tunes with six bonus tracks featuring Sidemen from Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen's band and more. Go to paulmetza.com and check it out. And remember, like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone
2: happy.